This is the Rower's Choice Podcast. This is Alex Del Sordo, the Rower's Choice Podcast. I'm uh, I'm with Andy Bacchus. If if you know anything about DC rowing, the name Andy Bacchus is is probably going to come up in conversation or your memory. Um, he's been around rowing for a very long time. I won't put him on the spot, but definitely longer than I've been alive. Um, but Andy, Andy and I go back to when I first started coaching at Bishop O'Connell, and there is one particular moment that I will never forget. And uh, I always get a bit of emotional on this. And I think if you know my history and my experience with rowing, the name Tim Conroy will come up a lot. Uh, Tim was my best friend. He was a, a guiding light in my, in my life. And he had passed away um, my second full year of coaching. And I went around to all the coaches in the DC area and I had asked, could you please help me put together a regatta? And uh, I, I, to, my, to my surprise, Andy Bacchus raised his hand and says, I will build the Tim Memorial with you. I know you remember this, Andy. And it was, it was the emo- most emotional weekend of my coaching career. We had Tim Conroy's family come from Ohio and from other areas. And we ran a Yorktown O'Connell duel. And, uh, and he was part of... Um, the Tim Conroy Memorial, and uh, it will be forever embedded in my memory. Um, so today we're going to talk to Andy. We're going to get to know his background in rowing. We're going to um, learn what he's seen from a change perspective of rowing since the 1980s. And uh, we're also going to get some advice from him on how he balances his work life um, time and experience and then what he would give advice to to young coaches that want to make this a career so Andy welcome thank you, uh, thank you uh, for having me. yeah and uh, look you've been rowing a long time man and I don't want to age you too much here but can you tell me how you got from WNL because I think you rode in WNL right yeah under Charlie Butt to how you've gotten to Gonzaga today like give me that give me that period of time uh, well, I was thinking about this driving down here. It was uh, 45 years ago, right about now. Um, I had been a, an aspiring high school baseball player, and uh, I had been injured uh, a couple of different ways in the fall of 1974. And uh, my family's orthopedic surgeon uh, had simply said to me, uh, I think you're going to be fine, but you just can't play baseball. Anymore. <laughs> um, and so uh, January turned into February, and uh, I wasn't going to baseball practice anymore. And I was looking around the neighborhood for like where are all my tenth uh, and eleventh grade friends, and the word was, well, they're at crew. Which you probably never even heard of. And I said, what's crew? <laughs> And uh, my and literally it was everybody in my immediate neighborhood, um, and so they said, "Well, well, you should come down to Potomac Boat Club with us, and uh, you'll find out." Wow. And uh, Washington and Lee at that point had kind of come over the top. We didn't have as many people as uh, Charlie had had. 
but co-education of Washington Lee Rowing had started, so it was boys and girls. And that, in terms of demand for shells and coaches, had gotten the whole scheme back to sort of peak Charlie, which was nine or ten eighths of people. Wow. Um, and there weren't that many shells, and there weren't that many racks, and so we spent a lot of time on land. Hmm. And after that first day of running on the towpath, uh, running the exorcist stairs and calisthenics, I don't think we touched the barge or an oar or anything. When I showed up at school the next day, I could barely walk. <laughs> so that was You got my, an education in, in training. That was my first experience in rowing 45 years ago, uh, more or less this winter. Uh, but stuck with it. Yep. And uh, the captain of the team that year was in my neighborhood, and we could all carpool back then, and it was eight or nine kids in a station wagon. Uh, driving, Much different than now, I guess, right? Yes, <laughs> driving down to Potomac Boat Club, and uh, a lot of land training, and they started us in the barge, and, you know, by the end of the season, uh, you know, we were racing at Stotesbury. Did you, did you end your high school career with a Stotesbury medal? Uh, no, my next year, my senior year, uh, we, I was a high school lightweight. Okay. Uh, the biggest of the little guys. Um, and we did win a very close race uh, to win the Northern Virginia Championship. This was 1976. Uh, we shared space at Potomac Boat Club with Jeff Stewart High School. Sure. Uh, a lot of people these days don't remember that because I don't know when Jeb Stewart left Potomac, but they left, I think, in the 80s. But uh, they had won Henley wow. in 1968. And Washington Lee came back and won Henley in 1969. Wow. And in the 70s, the crews were very comparable and very competitive. And the uh, Jeb Stewart lightweights were kind of the pick of the litter that year, and the long story short was they won Stotesbury, and I think we were third or something like that. Um, but they were coached by a guy who I think is still coaching, a guy named Larry Connell. <laughs> uh, Larry Connell is a guy in South Jersey that I grew up with. He had a house in Ventnor, and we would always do a piece from Larry Connell's house to the bridge and like there were days where he would come out on the deck and our coach Chris Kanicki at the time would say hey Larry you want to see the fastest boat in the country and he would just wave us on and it was it, we didn't know who he was except other than he was just a, a legend in the rowing yeah. sport yeah so wow. we had this wonderful uh, sorry that's the that sound in the background <laughs> is the CSX train <laughs> uh, it'll go away don't worry it, it, it does well, a good job of muffling rolling by our, our, our boathouse. But uh, it was a wonderful season because uh, we had this great local rivalry between these two crews and we traded off. Uh, we won Novas, they won Stotesbury. Uh, they, they, meaning the, uh, the Jebbies as we call them, <laughs> just barely won Nationals and we were going to go to the Canadian School Boys for yeah. one final race against each other. And to this day, I still don't know what happened. 
Um, but uh, Charlie, senior Charlie, turned it off, and that was the end of our season. But we, we that year were the Washington League crew that went the farthest, cool. or whatever that is worth. Okay. And for this is what knits the broader community of rowing together. Young Charlie Bud, yep. uh, who was at that point either, I guess he was a 10th grader at Langley High School. Oh. Langley did not have rowing. Uh, but little Charlie would come to our practices every day with his father and he would row a single wow. alongside the Washington League crew practice. And if anyone was out, little Charlie was in. And uh, after rowing his single for two years, uh, he made the junior national team, I think, as a 12th grade. Well, I mean, now we all know where he is now. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that's an incredible story. So, okay, so in, you graduated in 77? 76. 76. So you graduated 76. Where do you go from there? Uh, I was very lucky. Uh, there was no such thing as, you know, recruiting lightweights, and uh, we barely had the technology of ergometer working. Washington Lee had one erg, a gamut erg. Lucky basement, you. Jeez. In the, in the basement <laughs> of Washington Lee High School. Uh, but uh, I ended up, uh, fortunately, uh, getting into Yale on my own. And nice. was a, a walk-on lightweight rower there. There was practically no recruiting back then. Uh, the vast majority of people, heavyweight and lightweight, were, were walk-ons. Um, some had experience. Some who, who was your coach there? My freshman coach was a guy named Jay Prinslau. Mm -hmm. uh, he had been the first boat varsity heavyweight coxswain at Yale for three years. He was from Syracuse, New York. And uh, he, uh, he coached us to a, a sprint championship. Uh, we won the Eastern Sprints in 77. And, and what kind of boats were you rowing back then? Uh, mostly wooden pococks. That sprint-winning crew in 77 rode a beautiful, lightweight Pocock. Mm -hmm. We were rowing wooden croaker oars. Yeah. That was kind of the, the best technology at the time. Sure, sure. Lightweight uh, croaker oars. We transitioned between 77 and 78 and 79. Yale was the first college to buy Carbocraft carbon fiber boats. Wow. And as I often quote third hand, Harry Parker was fond of saying, it is rarely the boat yeah. that makes a difference. But I will note that uh, Washington Lee alumnus Tony Johnson, who was the head coach at the head heavyweight coach at Yale at the time, bought a English-built Carbocraft for his heavyweight first boat in 1978. And just coincidentally, they did win the sprints that year. <laughs> um, they also were the first university crew to use the carbon fiber slash fiberglass uh, oars made by Dreisiacker. Yeah, for which sure. Is now a concept too. So the Yale first boat heavies in 78 rode a Carbocraft with what are now called Concept Two Wars, and they won the sprints. 
and the Yale Lightweights bought their first Carver Craft in 79. And again, you have to trust me, it wasn't just the boat. Uh, <laughs> you guys are pretty quick. But uh, for the first time in over 20 years, uh, Yale broke through and won the first boat sprints in 79. I was not in that crew. I was in the second boat that year. And that brought carbon fiber technology to the forefront. And literally everybody is related. Um, at the time, the freshman heavyweight coach at Yale watching all of this was Mike Vespoli. Oh, yeah. And he goes... People do not know this story, by the way. Uh, uh, I could tell you that. Uh, Vespoli was just about the finest rowing coach I have ever encountered. His three years of Yale freshman heavyweights went on to be the most successful varsity heavyweight classes that I think Yale had ever had. Mike Vespoli said, this is the coming thing. 1980, I helped with a bunch of other guys bring the first molds into a warehouse in New Haven, Connecticut, where Mike was going to start making the first Carver Crafts. You were part of that, that group? Well, I didn't work there. I, I, I was, but you were part of the, you were the group to help get it over here? Well, I mean, we physically just carried it from the oh. truck, you know, <laughs> in, in, okay. into the warehouse. Um, so uh, I finished up my uh, career in 1980. Um, and I thought that my rowing days were over at that point, like early August. And I got a phone call from Dave Vogel, hmm. who had been my varsity coach uh, at Yale. And he said, I'm looking for a freshman coach for next year. Are you interested? Uh, and I said, ooh, uh, Dave, I got to think about this. And I'm like at my parents' dining room table. And as, how old was I, 21, 22? Uh, as young men often do, they just make a spur of the moment decision. So I turned everything around and I went back up to New Haven and I coached the Yale freshman lightweights for one year. Okay. And it was just a magical year. Um, had a great, great bunch of guys, just, couldn't possibly have been better. None of them had rowed before, other than one. And the one guy who had rowed a little tiny bit ended up in our second freshman. Uh, so it was eight novices, and the little quirky thing was that they were all alumni sons, as it turned out. Wow. One was the son of a Yale heavyweight crew captain. Um, but uh, we did pretty well. Yeah. Uh, the big turning point of our season was uh, we beat a, a Penn crew that had been undefeated, coached by Bruce Kanavka, who's mm -hmm. still coaching, who, yep. I, who I, I know. Um, and uh, I think we were, uh, the only crew that really was faster than us was Princeton. And yeah. they, they had eight experienced guys. Okay. And uh, they beat us in the HYP, we beat Harvard. And then we were second or third at the sprints. Um, and that was uh, the season. and. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, I didn't think that anything could possibly be as uh, satisfying uh, and as filled with good feeling as that year was. Plus, I was getting a little pressure from 
both my parents and my grandparents, I'm basically from a Greek immigrant family. My grandfather grew up running restaurants here in DC, lived over in Southeast, not far from this boathouse. And uh, this isn't a, an exact quote, but the message got across, you know, we didn't really like send you to college and to Yale <laughs> necessarily to be a sports coach. <laughs> yeah. So the years are going on, I'm married, we're having kids, following a, you know, building a career. And you know, so 20 years goes by. And uh, I'm out in California and we live right near the Marin Rowing Association. Yeah. And this is now 2005 and six. And my eldest son, who was in seventh and eighth grade, starts sculling at the Marin Rowing Association. And he likes it. Great. Um, so after all these years have gone on and I'm working in private equity in California, my father passes away mm -hmm. here in DC. Uh, and that was in December of 2005. And uh, the guys at my firm, who were great guys, they said, go ahead and move, look after your mother. Uh, you can keep working from home. And so we moved uh, to, back to Arlington, Virginia. So my eldest son, uh, was slated to start at Yorktown High School. Nice. In the fall of 2006. And minding my own business, and one of our neighbors from the 90s, later on became the president of the Yorktown Crew Boosters. And his sons had graduated and gone to the Naval Academy, but uh, Yorktown was looking for some coaching help, and he called me. I gotta say would no you, to that. Would you like to help out in Yorktown? And I go, uh, sure. I haven't done anything in rowing in about, mm, I don't know, 25 years. <laughs> uh, so uh, I got in touch with the uh, head coach there, who was uh, Craig Spragans. Yeah. Another Washington League guy. And uh, he took me on to uh, coach their varsity boys. And uh, again, we, it, was, it was a bit of a turnaround. But uh, there were some really good athletes that year, and uh, we trained them a little harder. And one of my 50-year friends from the neighborhood and Washington Lee crew, Barry Tron, I had basically three jobs going on at the same time and couldn't make practice all the time. And Barry was just my number two. And between wow. the two working kind of old guys, we could cover practice. And so we started that first season. And uh, things went pretty well. Uh, found some good guys who had been frustrated by not winning more often, and we trained them a little harder and pointed them in the right direction. We had a very good season. Yeah. And uh, we ended up finishing second at the Vassar Championship to a just fantastic uh, TJ crew, sure. uh, coached by Jim Granger. Going down to the little metal dock there at Sandy Run and to give these Yorktown kids their silver medals. They haven't won a medal in like four years of rowing. <laughs> They're pretty excited. And this big 
burly guy with a beard, you know, he strides right up and he shakes my hand. He goes, congratulations. And I go, who are you? And that was Jim Granger. <laughs> um, and uh, his TJ guys didn't lose a single race until Henley that year. Jeez. Um, so anyway, that was the first season. So then 06, so this is, you had 20 years, right? So then, you know, I know you were with Yorktown for a while, but um, from 06 to now, it's just been Yorktown and now Gonzaga, right? These are just the two teams that you've had since I, I did like coach 14 two year, years. Two years at St. Albans. St. Albans. So the, the first high school season for me in the spring was 07. Okay. So I did 7, 8, 9, 10, and 12 uh, at Yorktown. And wow. then uh, took two years off, uh, pursued a master's degree in American history, thinking that I was, you know, maybe gonna uh, pursue a teaching wow. gig okay. at the end. Uh, plus, you know, I have a lot of kids, four kids. <laughs> uh, one was a budding basketball player. Peter, our eldest, had graduated. And he went off the pen, um, and. So I had uh, the seasons of 13 and 14 off. I went to GW. Okay, yeah. That's where yeah. I got my degree. Um, and then uh, my daughter started rowing uh, as an eighth grader at Yorktown and at TBC over the summer. And I was around Greg King, and he said, hey, we need a freshman coach at St. Albans. You want to do it? And so uh, I coached two classes of freshmen at St. Albans in 15 and 16. And I appreciate freshman, high school freshman coaches more and more uh, all the time and have a great one at Gonzaga, which is another great part of the current gig. Uh, but uh, my youngest son of three came along and as things worked out, he ended up getting into Gonzaga and I had known Mark Mandel for almost a decade. Yeah, anyway. sure. And I called Mark and said, hey, I'd like to volunteer if you need anybody. And fortunately for me, E.J. McCarthy, awesome phenomenon of a person, <laughs> uh, was headed over to England to pursue a PhD at Cambridge. And Mark did need like a third, second or third level assistant. And so he took me on. Wow. And so I was at Gonzaga, and Mark did that full year of 2017. Uh, very good crew. Um, and did pretty happened. good that year too, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, Henley. Uh, yeah, they they came very close to winning on the third day. Right. Caught a crab uh, against Shiplake College. So then you took over Gonzaga in 18. So for the 18 season, Mark was thinking he was he was going to stay in place. Well, he went north. He went up north. I mean, he went to was it Massachusetts area, right? He went to Williams, but yeah. the, it, the thing about that was it was very late breaking, hmm. so it wasn't a job that he had been selected for during the season, and he knew he was going to leave. He didn't know he was going to leave. Wow. Okay. So we were going to get together for lunch to start talking about the next season in late July. And he just said, I got to tell you something. Uh, I'm going to Williams. And I go, great. Uh, great for them. They've made a good decision. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, uh, I'd like you to take over. And I go, oh. And it was sort of like uh, the conversation with Dave Vogel. Uh, I got to think about it. About five seconds later, I said, sure, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, I was in the right place at the right. The class of 17 was a very dominant class. They graduated and it was a little bit of a, of a rebuilding year. And uh, had a lot of, as we do every year, a lot of dedicated uh, guys of modest stature. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, credit where credit is due, uh, those seniors were just a bunch of tough guys. And uh, we weren't world beaters, but we got through that season and uh, won the bronze medal at Stotesbury in the first boat. We won the hammer trophy in the second boat. And, uh, you know, uh, everything went along pretty well. So, you know, this conversation turned into actually a bit of a, uh, an historic breakdown of rowing, right? Because you've been around for a long time. So there's a couple things I think that you brought out that no one really even knew happened, right? Uh, your connection to Mike Vespoli, your connection to another local DC guy, right? Um, and, 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 then, and then your path of, of 20 years. But my, my first question I wanted to ask is, you started in the 1970s, you're now, you rode for, po you rode Pocock's wooden boats, and now you're all the way up into 2020. What can you say to the audience and the coaches that are just getting into it, what's the biggest change you've seen in 45 years of rowing? It is the, the commitment to year-round training. As late as the 1970s, and certainly at least the Washington League until the 1980s, um, rowing was a spring sport. You know, you started training together in February. Mm -hmm. And I've had this talk with a number of people. Um, we got out of school early every day. This was, you know, unique to our circumstance, uh, like two in the afternoon. We were down at the boathouse by three, and we stayed there until six. And we rode, we rode every day, we ran on the towpath every day, we ran stairs every day, and most days we did some sort of land training. Hmm. You know? And it was three hours of activity every day, which is more than we do now. Yeah. But we crammed a lot into three months. But what seasonal rowing meant was that people could play multiple sports. And Washington Lee rowing through the 50s and the 60s, and even when I was there in the 70s, was married up very closely with football. Hmm. And so a lot of big, good athletes played football in the fall, and they rowed in the spring. Now, do you think that that's something that U.S. rowing should get back into? Uh, Dual sport rowing? Well, this is the nature of everything. You know, in the course of 45 years, Everything in athletics is better, okay? And yeah. it's, it's, it's Nutrition, it, all the way down to nutrition yeah. and training, yeah. Um, you know, this is the phenomenon of human beings pursuing excellence in anything and everything. And uh, it has just consistently spiraled toward uh, the top with more and more time devoted in a more and more, and more effective way. Mm -hmm. um, you can begin to make the argument that in college, at least within the universe of American athletes, this is a Dave Vogel point, that he felt like his absolutely best and fastest crews were his crews from the late 1980s, which was right at the, the cusp of significant recruiting 
And it was also right when high school rowing really started to take off mm -hmm. in terms of numbers of quote-unquote experienced people. Uh, but programs like Yale Lightweight Rowing was built around a, a mix of high-caliber walk-on athletes with a limited number of people with experience, and you got the best of both. So some of Dave's best athletes were guys who came in as novices, but they had been football players, soccer players, swimmers, whatever, at a very high level, very high level. And by the time they were juniors in uh, college, you know, they, they were really fast. Plus, they learned how to row the right way. Sure. With the right equipment. Without, without other influences. I understand that. Yeah. And Yale has three excellent rowing tanks in the basement of the gym. And that makes, if you use them this way, the ability to train novices pretty effective. So your, so your biggest takeaway is that is the caliber of training and the year-round training that you've yes. seen from the 70s up until today. And Gonzaga trains year-round. Now, do you, as the, as the head coach of Gonzaga, do you do a lot of the recruiting within the Gonzaga walls, or is that done with, by other people and other rowers? Well, this was Mark's single biggest challenge, is we, we are a very sports focused by culture and interest school but rowing is way down on the priority uh, order not necessarily from the school administration but it's just not at the top of the pecking order yeah so when mark first started uh, he didn't have any kind of intake mechanism other than word of mouth okay. and at a school that has I think four lacrosse teams where they've got the varsity two junior varsities and a freshman wow. lacrosse team and they have three rugby teams and four basketball teams uh, you wow. know it just pulling people in and a lot of times they weren't very big they hadn't had much background in sports and so it was a big challenge um, and I'm going to keep using this expression. Mark was the one who thought all of this through and took something that was at this level and elevated it to the next level. And there had always been a lot of younger brothers following in the path of older brothers. And there is an intrinsic draw for a number of people where once they experience rowing, they find it is more fun for them than swimming, let's mm -hmm. say. Uh, occasionally we will pull somebody in from soccer um, um, and you have to have a way to introduce them to it somehow and so what what mark had one window and that was late July the incoming freshman class is getting ready to start classes and a lot of them are getting ready to start fall sports so you got to put something in front of all of that and show them rowing. And so his idea was a week-long invite the entire freshman class, not all of them of course would sign up, but invite everybody in the incoming freshman class to a five-day learn to row. Right here. Right here. Wow. Uh, and so, and we run the entire thing with recently graduated alums. Smart. So it is 
young men leading younger men and introducing them to every aspect of this experience. That's really uh, smart. And uh, they, they erg a little bit, they row on the barges a little bit, and over the course of five days, they eventually get out in boats and we have a little race on the end of the fifth day. And, they, uh, and it's only half day, like you know, nine to noon. And just try to get as many of them to consider coming out for rowing either in the fall, the winter, or the spring. Well, you know, I, I hope coaches listening can take that advice for their programs in other parts of the country. That's a really good, that's a really good idea. And the critical thing is it's got to be before football starts. Because <laughs> you're going to lose on the football. And, and we want kids who go to learn to row and play freshman football. Um, and, you know, and it's never more than a tiny handful. But I'll use the, the example of a fellow named Ryan Link. This is, this is classic, okay? Now, the, the, the big thing was both of his parents had rowed in college, but both parents are very tall. Ryan's an extraordinary athlete. He came into Gonzaga, and he made the varsity soccer team as a freshman in the fall. He was on the varsity swimming team in the winter, and he came out for rowing in March hmm. of his freshman year. Rode that season, did very well. Uh, he rode all over the summer uh, with Tom Daly and myself here with, with Capital, and he basically makes his decision, I'm gonna commit to Rome. And so he rose in his sophomore year, in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, and he makes the national team. Holy moly. Uh, and he has three years of eligibility. That was his first of three years. He ended up going to Japan as a spare, but he spent the whole summer with the national team, was on the Canamex eight, mm -hmm. and you know, has all that experience. And you know, he is a case study in rowing was attractive enough where he could have done any one of a number of sports, but he picked one. That's impressive. Um, you know, I wanna, I wanna, change topics a little bit and um, I've been thinking about this since uh, you brought it up. You were 21 and you were given the opportunity to go coach Yale. Okay, I don't know how old you are now, Andy, but I don't want to... You can do the math. <laughs> I, could, I could probably do the math. I'll let them do the math. But today, if you could say anything to that 21-year-old, what would it be? Well, this, this is where you, you know, you, you've got to be uh, uh, a little careful, okay? Uh, you know, I felt at the time that if I didn't leave Yale and rowing at the point that I did, I would literally spend the rest of my life in, you know, New Haven, Connecticut, you know, coaching rowing. And I knew that I loved it, but there were, you know, I'm going to say other things that I wanted to pursue. And... The calculus that I personally went through was at least coaching was something that I could, in theory, do later in life. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and in my little sort of test case, I made a series of sort of life decisions that were consistently driven by the age that I was and things that I could only do when I was young. So the, 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 the critical catalyst for being a military aviator was I ran out of time. You know, the last year you could sign up was age 25. Oh, okay. And I was 25 when I finally got in. It was then or never. 
Hmm. You know, you can't come back and do that later. It was under my skin, and the thing which I get across, which is sort of stealing a Marine Corps phrase, uh, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine. Once an oarsman, always an oarsman. Sure. So that's a good theme. I mean, the good theme that I think you can impart on a lot of younger coaches is that you can walk away for a period of time, but it always follows you. I mean, yeah. no matter how old you are, no matter where you go in your career, you can always be a, a crew coach somewhere. Uh, at the high school level. Yeah. Now, the, the other thing to keep in mind is uh, uh, I was no special national team level athlete, okay? So to some extent, I have ended up as high as I will ever go. But this is all that I want to do. You know, I want to work with young people. And the phrase that I've used, and I actually put this in a U.S. rowing presentation, we coach rowing, but the mission that I feel like I have is I'm teaching young people how to succeed. Mm -hmm. Rowing's just the vehicle. This is my little ministry. You know, this is how I give back to the institution that prepared me to pursue all these things I've been able to pursue. Rowing did all of that. So this has been an awesome, uh, actually a history lesson. There's a couple things that I learned that I did not know, and I prided myself on, on knowing a lot about rowing. Um, the one big takeaway that I'm going to walk away from with this um, is once an oarsman, always an oarsman. And I think that has been the same thing that I've heard in every podcast interview I've done since the beginning. Um, rowing follows you and it'll continue to follow you for forever. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening. Uh, we'll continue the path down, talking to more GW, I mean, excuse me, uh, Washington, D.C. coaches. Uh, so I hope you uh, enjoyed the Rower's Choice podcast. Thanks for listening. This is the Rower's Choice podcast. Rower's Choice is made up of finish line shell repair, Resolute Racing Shells, and Sykes USA.